You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start getting our trail cameras ready and our trail cameras out to start capturing pictures of velvet bucks. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Now, what is Velvet Fest? Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of different prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cameras on the market. Now, until July 12th, when you purchase any trail camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information on Velvet Fest. All right, guys. Welcome to another Land of Legacy Habitat Heroes podcast. Coming at you right here with another jumping back into hinge cuts, phase, phase clear two. cuts, forest, timber management, whatever you want to call it. We're talking um, about a hot topic. Didn't realize it was that hot until last week um, because it is a widely debated um, topic and you know, with Matt and I talk for an hour, but I, or I guess it wasn't quite an hour. Not quite. It was 50 some minutes. Um, we felt like there's some things that we didn't explain correctly or we didn't explain at all. Um, and so, or we could have gone into further detail about the way we utilize a hinge versus, in our management, yes. right? So it's important that we continue to elaborate on it because it was important to everyone else listening appreciate all the feedback but also we're getting not just our point of view but other people's point of view too yes and so one of our this is this is something i think that um explaining kind of our stance at land and legacy uh when we when we launched this just over two and a half years ago um it came down to we no longer, sometimes we're going to buck the system. Um, and sometimes we're going to say stuff that we know a lot of other people are thinking, but don't necessarily go out and say it because there is so, there's some topics that are widely debated. Not and, commonly preached. And things. this is one of these topics where there is some diehard loyalties towards it and love it. And then there's some people that, that refuse to use it. Um, and so we're trying to shine light on some of these things and talk about some things. So yeah, we may offend people, uh, in our message, but hopefully you understand that our message has always been and always will be improving the land. And so there are techniques out there that aren't necessarily best for the landscape. And sometimes that may rub people wrong, but our stance has always been, we're going to manage for the health of the land, not the benefit of the species. And in this case, the health of the land is more important than the benefit of a hinge cut to a for whitetail deer, and that's really the the overall one the shine the light. Let's get down to the very fine print and say what exactly is the issue. That's the issue. Is from a broad brush hinge cutting isn't something that we want to do a lot of because it is not beneficial to a lot of other species. It could be very beneficial to whitetail deer for a short period of time. 
but it's not for the health of the land, and that's where we're coming from. So hopefully you guys can understand that. And I think that a lot of what we're going to talk about in this podcast, too, comes from the scale size of things. You know, how much do you use or how much is too much? And so we'll, we'll touch on that um, during this podcast and bring, like I said, more light to it. But definitely that is that is the mission. And there's going to be other topics that we talk about, too, um, in the coming months, the coming years that are uncommon um, or we're going to talk about things that are uh, fads and definitely um, a lot of people are using whether we agree or disagree um, we're going to we're going to stick to the facts of of good land ethics and doing the right thing for the benefit of land because it can't really speak for itself so that's where we come from and that's kind of the the heart of of land and legacy so hopefully um with this podcast, we're jumping in with Matt Ross, good friend from QDMA, and he's going to share some northern, because he is from the northeast, um, works in the northeast, he's a registered forester, wildlife biologist, works for QDMA, has a lot of experience on managing timber, uh, and also working for wildlife. So it's coming at it from a great, great uh, perspective, great, great perspective. perspective, and uh, you know, there are a lot of other ways, you know, in the coming podcast and I I mentioned this later but we're going to have regionally based a podcast series coming to you guys this summer um, that we're going to really focus on species to plant or species to look to encourage species to remove for each region to where you can maximize land productiveness for wildlife Um, and so hopefully you guys enjoy it I hope you guys like this discussion coming with Matt Ross Um, it's it's really awesome he brings a lot of a lot of great points that we didn't mm-hmm. mention last week um, about the the differences and uh, hopefully uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Alright guys, let's jump into this podcast. Returning guest dear friend, Mr. Matt Ross from the QDMA. Matt, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me again, guys. Yeah, it's You're always welcome. always a pleasure. Um, so a little bit upfront story on, on this interview Matt is traveling. Um, I'll, I'll let him explain where he's traveling from, but he's in an airport right now. So if you hear background music, the background talking, that's what's going on. Or if you hear a, a, a delay in his response, he's probably checking his phone to see how much further he's delayed, delayed in his <laughs> travels. And so uh, kind of all that explained up front. But Matt, tell us a little bit about where you've been. I'm uh, on my way back from one of the QDMA uh, habitat classes that we offer during the year. I was in the low country of South Carolina um, uh, on a plantation, and we had about 40 people, a little over 40 people from six different states there. And we taught all types of elements of habitat management, including uh, how to manage forests and how to manage uh, old fields or early successional areas and how to manage food plots for deer management. So it was a really great weekend and uh, looking forward to getting home to the family and uh, moving on to the next project. Awesome. awesome. Sounds yeah. like a great, a great trip. Uh, those are always fun to get just in the field with people and have that hands-on experience. That you, can't, you can't beat that. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to, to working with you guys later this year uh, on our one of our deer steward classes, the same uh, idea but much more holistic than just habitat management um, for a deer steward two class where we have a sold out situation for that and I'm sure uh, you guys had a lot to do with it and we're looking forward to it no yeah, doubt. We're, we're definitely excited for it absolutely 
So let's get straight to it. I know we're kind of on limited time here. You're traveling, and we never know what's going to happen with, with your flights. So, you know, everybody heard the Habitat Heroes podcast last week. It was uh, We had great discussions on both Instagram and Facebook. A lot of people... Um, a lot of people commenting, had great response, saying, Sharing I totally get it. You know, yeah. I've talked to my forester, um, kind of setting the field here. The whole topic was if you're managing, um, trying to create a bedding area in your timber or multiple bedding areas, the difference between doing almost strictly hinge cuts versus a clear cut aspect. Um, and ben, so, and, and basically, then compare benefits of forestry aspect of things, overall land management, as well as the benefit that each one respectively has to wildlife. And we compared those and just pretty much laid it out, um, and then followed up again with, like you said, lots of comments, lots of discussions there um, on Facebook, social media. But and 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 a lot of the people that were having a little bit of a kind of a whoa 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 hinge cutting is really really beneficial in our part of the world we're from northern states so what better way to bring in and discuss northern state timber management than mr matt ross so matt give us a little bit on your background it's been oh gosh i don't remember i think he was on number in the teens 13 13 or 14 or something like that. you were on podcast number 13 and now we're at 130 ish something like that so it has been a while so give us a little bit of your background Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize it had been uh, that long, or that that's how productive you guys have been in <laughs> numbers of podcasts. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a forester and biologist uh, by trade. I work for QDMA full time, but before I worked for QDMA, um, I worked for a consulting company that mostly did forestry work with private landowners and uh, public landowners as well. We worked with a lot of towns, um, writing forestry prescriptions, uh, forestry prescriptions for timber or Uh, wildlife or a combination thereof Um, and I really enjoyed that experience it was very uh, really worthwhile in terms of being able to say uh, we'll do something apply it and watch how the the land and animals respond uh, both in short and long term I was there for um, several years so I got to see the short-term side of it but the company had existed long enough that I was able to uh, uh, work on some projects where it was third or fourth application to a site and really could see, you know, how land responds to that. So that that was in New Hampshire and Maine. That's where I lived and worked before uh, taking a job with QDMA. And then I've been with QDMA for 13 years now. So it's it's been a while since I've done that, but uh, still uh, licensed as a forester. I maintain that license and certified as a biologist. So um yeah, I, hopefully having that northern uh, state or actually New England experience will help uh, a little bit with this conversation. Actually, the class I just came from, we talked about timber management and uh, use of different techniques. We talked about hinge cutting, so hopefully I can I can assist with some of the thought process uh, wow. there and some of the benefits and um, some of the disadvantages. Yeah, absolutely. Here's here's one of the most debated conversations or questions can you manage for productive timber and still have maximum wildlife habitat and if so how can you do it if not how can you walk that line and create great find the best of both worlds yes 
Ooh, man, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> that, that is a, that's a whole different topic. So, and actually, we discussed that this weekend. Uh, somebody asked a very similar question. Um, it is a fine line. Um, really, it comes down to the ground zero of of listing what your objectives are. If your objectives are literally both evenly, um, it is difficult to achieve that. Most people or families don't have. Um, you know, they might want both, but one is likely going to take a little bit absolutely higher priority than the other ones. So you have to make decisions based on that. And, and yes, you can get benefits byproducts from both, um, but it is a fine line, and that comes down to area use and resource use. For sure. There might be cases where you segment parts of the property that are strictly managed. Um, with the priority being timber and the wildlife will benefit from it as a byproduct of that and vice versa. You might set aside some areas that might be lower productivity in terms of your timber growth and you set that aside and, and create early successional areas in there or it's too wet or, or what have you. So, And, and I um, think that right there is money because in all the travels Matt and I have been in now, 27 states and I 37 or 36,000 acres, most properties, almost all properties, are going to have areas that, if it is a timbered property, areas of really good timber and areas of really bad timber. But they get managed the exact same way on the most part, for the most part. Un- until so, until we leave. Until we write the plan. And typically it's, okay, this is very unproductive timber. We're going to focus here on managing timber for wildlife. And then areas where there's really good timber, say, we're going to manage here for maximum production. Um for the timber and still get some of the benefit for the wildlife. Yeah. And, and that does come down to, you know, talking about a plan. Now we're, now we're really chasing a rabbit. But, <laughs> um, having objectives written down, it's important. It might it seem uh, superficial, but it's not. It, it, it's the writing down of the, of the goals and what you want to achieve is that thought process that goes from A to B where you say, well, you know what? I guess I really do think timber management is more important and here's how we make those decisions or, or wildlife is more important. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's, there's a whole, that's a whole podcast. We could talk about that. <laughs> and that no kind of goes no with, doubt. with the whole management with, with, uh, Kyle and Frank who are quail consult upland consultants for us. Now they use cattle. They rely on cattle to really get maximum usage out of maximum disturbance for the landscape, but they'll say it straight up that, if you're really trying to get great habitat for quail, you can't get maximum production out of your cattle. You kind of have to walk that line of getting some productive uh, use out of your cattle, but not getting, not trying to maximize the herd, trying to get more head on it, uh, more head of cows on that piece of ground, because then you start degrading the habitat. So same thing can be said about this whole concept of managing timber for productive timber versus for habitat. And most people in a recreational land setting, yeah, they want to make some income, but they're willing to move back and forth, you know, between um, both of those goals on, on a property, lean one way or, or another, um, just a little yeah. bit. Most times it's just, it's not split 50-50 right down the middle. So, uh, which which is good. That helps, again, like you said, Matt, define goals up front, and then from there we're going to lay out a plan to, to move forward with it. Um, I'll give you a good example of the property that we just ha- had the class on is managed primarily for quail and timber management and deer come second or third. Mm -hmm. Quail is certainly number one. And uh, that 
that how you manage the ground for quail is, is a deer will benefit from it, but not to the point that they would is if you manage for deer. And sure. uh, I know that's really high level. And we can talk about the definitions of what deer need versus other wildlife species. But when it's a single focal species, one wildlife that's listed, um, you, you go for that and then other animals will benefit from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so let's go ahead, Matt. Do you want to give us a little bit of a comparison? Hinge cutting, clear cutting. What we did in the last podcast, Matt, was say, okay, you've got an acre to hinge cut and an acre to clear cut, kind of side-by-side comparisons. Here's what you could expect. Um, yeah. Let, let's get your opinion on it from, from a different just outside source, a forester, a guy who likes to hunt, who knows deer inside and out from more, more of a northern climate. Compare those side by side on what you can most likely expect from, you know, initial treatment of that area to five years down the road. Okay. Yeah, no, no problem. And uh, I'll take a step back, if you don't mind. And, sure. and I would say to the person, if they're managing that for bedding cover, let's say that is the objective. We want deer to bed in there. It's not timber related, although the uh, that will get into the discussion here in a second. Um, certainly a clear cut or an area that has hinge cuts, deer will bed in there. Um, but I would argue you could be better by trying to get some more forb growth in there. Um, a clear cut's going to regenerate into a young forest unless you do some ground disturbance. Um, hinge cut's going to just regenerate woody material. You're not going to get a lot of forb growth in there. You'll get some, but what would be really ideal is a situation which has a lot of forbs, and a little bit of grass in case you need to carry fire through there, but mostly forbs, young shrubs, and a little bit of woody growth. And the, the composition there would include some trees regenerating, um, but if you're starting from, from a forest and you don't want to disturb the soil and you want it to be in some type of woody growth afterwards, they both have different um, processes that you would go through. I am a fan of hinge cutting. Um, but I see them more as a technique, certainly uh, with hunting in mind, uh, that to be used if you had a map of a property um, and really it comes down to scale. And you made the comment about northern uh, northern properties. I think that's probably one of the things that is why you might have gotten a little bit more pushback from folks in the north versus other areas is scalability in the north is just so much different than the south and we got talking about this this past weekend the average size or parcel size in some states which have a lot of hunters in them are you know the average person might own 10 20 40 acres it's not in the hundreds it's not in the thousands tens of thousands yeah and that scale really does impact it because if they don't have the um wherewithal or desire to have timber management done yes scale really does impact that Um, But I know working and living in New York, we have smaller parcel size. Um, Oftentimes in a co-op, you can actually get somebody to come, a forester, to mark and treat multiple landowners in a co-op all at one time. I think we may have talked Mm -hmm. about this on a previous previous podcast, and that brings that scale up. And in fact, we have an operation going on right now, and it started – the day I left or the day after I left. Awesome. So scale, scale is big, a big part of it. Um, but if you had a map of a property and scale wasn't an issue, I see hinge cutting more as 
that fine pencil line. I'm stealing a, a, a line from one of my colleagues at QDMA. That's how he described it. And it's a really good way to describe it is that you're saying instead of a broad brush where you would hinge cut wide swaths of wherever trees are or whole blocks of it, it could really be used very well on edges of forest where forest meets uh, ag or where forest mm. meets uh young fields or, or old fields, early successional areas, because that's where your your woody material is going to be the most limby. Um, it's also going to be an edge where we all know that deer frequent and use habitat edge to distinguish where they move. And you can help direct some of that movement by hinge cutting. We actually did some demos of hinge cutting uh, as a screen to a blind on the edge of a food plot this past weekend. So there was a, um, a redneck blind there on the edge of a, a plot, and we showed how you could block visually so you can get into the uh, into the blind pretty hidden. You could both block movement of deer so they don't uh, they enter the field in a specific place. But back in the woodlot, in the interior, we elect and try to do more timber management mm. and. That would be different techniques. Um, you're talking about clear cutting. Clear cutting, as we chatted about back uh, when we did the previous podcast, is part of what's called even age management. And there are other techniques. Clear cuts are certainly one of them that's very common. You take a one acre area and you clear it. You could do a uh, shelter wood or seed tree cut where you're clearing most of the trees, but you're leaving a couple sporadic ones out there. But the objective of that is to regenerate a new stand, a, a brand new young stand of trees that are all going to be the same age, which is why that's called even age management. Yes. Doing that, you're going to get a bunch of young trees growing up. Doing a hinge cut in an area like that, uh, if it's a large scale uh, and you're doing it in a big area, it makes it more difficult to traverse and use your property, which is why we elect to and try to encourage people to use hinge cutting more on edges, uh, yes. not quite in the interior of, of your forest, because you can certainly take advantage of those other things we talked about, those byproducts, those secondary benefits. If you're trying to manage for deer and timber's really not uh, forefront on your mind, um, why would you still not want to benefit from trying to manage timber in a way where you financially benefit from it at some point down the road? So I think that that's right what there we is say. That's point. what we've written about is um, – interiors of woodlots it's better to just practice holistic forest management um with some type of even age model and using hinge cutting more as a sculpting effect of directing deer movement blocking deer visibility um, blocking deer visibility of you maybe blocking visibility of different parcels of the of the property um that's how we that's how we try to encourage people to use it now you, you i understand why some folks would hinge cut uh larger swaths um but you know there's other ways that you can take your wallet and throw it in the garbage it's not you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're throwing money away i don't know why sure. you would do that it just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me but yeah you you cool. just explained closed edge feathering or what we term as closed edge feathering uh, perfectly and that's where we use hinge cutting quite a bit to where a, a way of, we call it just closed edge feathering, where you're cutting trees along the edge of a field, food plot, whatever it is, 
and you're f you're felling them parallel with the edge of the field to where you create this natural barrier. You increase woody browse. You in you uh, decrease the visibility from one side to the other, and it allows you to steer deer to where. If you have a yeah. bigger food plot, you do that in a pocket or a corner, and Green you bring those points. deal those deer closer to where your stands at, to where you can exactly. access it. And, and those that, trees that, on the edge are going to have much lower timber quality because they're reaching out for the sun. Yep. So they have m many more limbs on the bowl of the tree, yeah. and you can do that in a way that you can go, you know, fairly deep in the forest because it's not, um, you know, the first five yards. You could actually do that to every tree on the first five to 10 yards. And then the next five to 10 yards, this is edge feathering do, you know, half the trees. And then the next five to 10 yards or even deeper do 20% of the trees. So it's got this real soft effect moving way back into the woodlot. It's allowing that sunlight growth to penetrate a little bit deeper and make that visual barrier much, much uh, thicker as well. Absolutely. That's I perfect. love it great great explanations of, of, of everything but I know that someone's gonna say okay I don't I don't care about the timber value this and that but make if you will a comparison of what is going to be there three years because I, I think a lot of people have this this notion that you know quickest fastest way to get what they want out of a property and so hinge cut is is used for that, um, for that reason. So three years after a clear cut and three years after a hinge, kind of make those comparisons and what benefit there is there for deer in, in both. And, and I guess you know, let's say put a put a value of a scale from one to ten on each for whitetail three years post post technique. So with a clear cut, I'll start there. You can expect within seven to eight years for that clear cut if you again we're, we're talking about not doing any ground disturbance here um, but initially you're going to see a flush of if the if the um, operations done at a time of year where ground disturbance is caused a little bit a flush of annuals uh along with regenerating hardwoods if that's what's been cut out of there um and so you're gonna have a combination of annuals and young sprouts coming off of of that in the first year that'll be replaced by those annuals with perennials there'll be things like uh, and biennials some of the raspberries and blackberries will show up um, you get probably a little bit of goldenrod and other other things that last a couple of years but pretty quickly by the third year it'll just be the regenerating hardwood sprouts yeah and that does provide food to deer especially in the north absolutely um, it, it's an important food source during the winter um and we try to manage for that um it's not going to be doing much for um, antler production, lactation, body growth, all of that happens in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, they do eat the ends of the sprouts from trees, and there's all kinds of research out there with some of those sprouts. But really, forb growth is where you get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of giving deer what they need for nutrition at that important critical time to grow, which is why you want to encourage some of those things anyway and why ground disturbance is important. But by the third year, you're going to be um, biennials will start to uh, dissipate a little bit, but they'll still be there. And certainly in years four through eight, it's going to be heavy hardwood growth, um, which will be quickly getting out of the reach of the deer. And by the time you're getting around eight years is where the, it reaches stem exclusion and they're no longer getting use out of that. And it's starting to, to develop a shade layer at the ground level 
and it's back to a point where almost no food is there. Yep. Um, that happens pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, with a with a hinge cut, if you took that same one acre and you hinge cut every tree and they were there, um, they they will by default because you're trying to make the tree uh, stay attached. Um, sprout at the either stump where the cut was and or along the bowl of the tree, which is now at the at laying horizontally and the top will stay alive. But that doesn't last. I'm sure somebody will probably call or, or write in. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll direct them. Yeah, what do you want to put your email here? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they will they will last some time. And I'm sure there's uh, uh, depending on the species examples of those trees that are in, producing in food for deer. Yeah. What's that? Well, depending on the species and then the just the overall weather condition severity of things will yes. help. I mean, will will determine how long that tree lasts. Yeah, I mean, they will. They'll die eventually mm-hmm. uh, at some point, or if if not, they do get out of the reach of the deer uh, at a quicker rate, I believe, than a clear cut because sure, yeah. you're already you're already starting one to four feet or even higher off the ground. So anything that's sprouting off the bowl of the tree. Um, is reaching to the sun, which is now directly overhead, very quickly. So I would anticipate at least any use of the side of, sides of the tree to be out of their reach within two years. Yeah. Um, anything at the stump, if the tree, either stump or root sprouts, would, would exist for some time. But shade is going to show up at a much quicker rate than it would in a clear cut because of that layer. You basically created a canopy you know, one to four or five feet off the ground and it fills in within one, one to three years. Yeah. Right. Now you have a shade layer that absolutely takes away all of those forbs, biennials or any other sprouts. So a clear cut would feed deer for seven to eight years. And at some point you'd need to regenerate that if the intent was for bedding or for food or a combination or both. A hinge cut would be immediate cover, obviously, um, but food to the deer, I think, would last less, probably 50% of the time. I'm guessing three to four years max, um, and you'd have much less form growth uh, in those cases. You'd still be there, but you wouldn't get it as much as you would with a timber operation that has skidders or tractors or uh, feller bunters moving around disturbing the soil as much as where you're going out and hinge cutting. So the benefit to the deer is quicker, in terms of the cover will show up year one, but I think it won't last as long. Um, and then you are left with the, the structure that's there that is difficult to traverse. Right. And honestly, if the intent is to have sh- a shaded spot for deer, you created it. Um, and deer will like the thick cover if you're on a small parcel and there's a lot of hunter pressure around. Um, they might use it in the summer for shade. I mean, that's certainly deer need that as well. Um, and they might even bet in there during the deer season. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of cases where that, that is true. Um, but to me, the ideal situation, if you want to ask what would be best to do, would be to either do some type of timber management with a directional thought process of what you're going to do with that. Um, maybe monetize it. If that's not a primary objective, that's okay, but it still turns into something that you are using towards other uses of the property. You're making sure. money now and or in the future. It's still a resource. And the disturbance that's created is is better, and the deer will still bed in it. It's not like they're not going to bed there. Um, again, hinge cuts have their use, 
Um, and uh, they're very, it's a very powerful tool. Um, but in the context of what you're asking me in terms of, of a one acre clearing for bedding, I would prefer it to not be a clear, a uh, hinge cut if I was able to do that. Uh, and if the scale is not an issue, and I know that it is in a lot of places where people might own, you know, seven acres, you're not going to have a timber sale on seven acres. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so the person that has a very, very small property that is not in a co-op that isn't going to have a logger come on to their small parcel. Um, I think it, I, I think it's applicable because yeah. the scale there is so small that you're not hurting yourself. Um, if you, and you can't really manage food at such a volume in that case that you're going to be influencing population level sure. nutrition. Sure. Yeah, so. no doubt. So if, if you were that, that landowner and after hearing that and they're like, okay, I, I can understand, you know, down the road, long term and, and immediate, you know, I, I want to do a clear cut and I'm on seven acres. You know, what's something that they can do? Because what we've talked about is, you know, going in, dropping these trees, pulling some logs out. Most people have got a, a tractor, an ATV or something like that. Uh, whether they're using it for firewood, if you're up north, my gosh, you probably need the firewood. But just different ways to be able to say, I know that. I'm going to make a bigger impact, a longer impact, positive impact for this area for both wildlife and timber regeneration if I choose to do a clear cut. Would you suggest that like going and removing some of these stumps and not doing all hinges would be better? Um, would it be better? Uh, you know, in terms of trying to get the stumps out of there. No, so uh, not, not stumps, the but logs. like the logs. Yeah. Like just, you know, pulling them yeah, out to four-wheeler ATV chains, something I mean, like that. Because, again, you're you're – you're limiting yourself on forb growth. Yes. I mean, yeah, somebody, you can take a picture in a, in a hinge cut, one acre hinge cut area and show me some forbs. They're going to grow there, but they're definitely not going to come in at the, at the um, rate and density you would in a clear cut. And even in a clear cut, they're not lasting very long. Yeah. You know, in all honesty, if somebody was in that situation and they really, really wanted to, to, to create some deer cover, um, you could do it in some kind of operation through uh, one of the uh, like equip grants or something like that. There's a lot of uh, interest, especially in the northern states around the Great Lakes and up in the northeast for creating young forests. It's, it's a, um, a component of the landscape that's missing and where there's a lot of mm. wildlife species. Deer include a little bit, but really turkey. There's some songbirds. There's some Rough game grass. birds grouse woodcock that are disappearing because young forest and you can get paid basically or reimbursed large amounts of what that uh would cost it would cost money to have somebody come and do some of that stuff but you could could do that it would be of interest to, to do it if you don't want to get tied up with some of those things which you know i understand some of the people saying that that's not something they want to get involved in um you know honestly just renting uh, a small piece of equipment to pop a couple stumps out here or there and using the firewood would do just as well. Yeah. Um, you, it, the hinges, the hinges are going to be a benefit Sure. Um, in Absolutely. that situation. But I guess, again, it depends on what the goal is. Yeah. Um, if you want to feed deer, that is not a benefit. It will be a short term, but you're not going to be feeding deer as long as you would if you removed the, the, the structure that is falling to get more intense sun and the process of removing it will disturb the soil. F food benefits are not going to be realized as high as they would in another situation. Absolutely. You hit on a couple 
points, and I don't know where we're at on time. But um, one thing I always notice with northern states um, where you get those severe winters is basically a lack of young forest or overall the amount of woody browse on a property. Uh, and I think that's where hinge cutting, where people may believe that, man, I get way more woody browse out of doing hinge cutting versus other other methods. Talk about some of the techniques you can use in the northern states to create, whether that be through shrub plantings or forest management, what are some of the best ways to increase the amount of woody browse available in northern states um, or species that create more woody browse? And knowing that there's going to be a lot of browse pressure, too. Yeah. You know, that's something that a lot of states or areas certainly face is just deer densities. They're, they're relatively high. So, you know, what are some of those techniques that you would, that you would see applicable? Number one, and, and a hardwood, uh, even age regeneration cut like a clear cut or seed tree cut or shelter wood cut is going to create the most biomass of hard, hardwood browse coming in without a doubt um, because you have all of those large root bases in the ground and all of that energy is pumping mm-hmm. pumping that back out um, that was that would be the foremost now I think you said planting back there a minute ago I guess yeah. it depends on if you want to target a specific species uh, to grow um, you know, some, there are some things out there you could plant, but if you want just hardwood browse, I would try to target preferred species that deer want to eat, um, and that will regenerate well. So if, if I wanted to do this in that one acre, let's say we did that, um, what I would do is clear it, remove the trees, um, any tree that deer like to eat not treat it with an herbicide and the trees that I know that deer will browse once it sprouts, um, not treat it. I think I said that yep. that correctly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you are influencing and selecting for the species that deer will like to eat and it will increase the amount of it because when they pop out, you'll, they'll get more sunlight. Um, that, that is a really, really good technique. Uh, you could also pick some species that will, that will both not only be preferred by deer, um, try to um, remove a large amount of the trees. And one of the, the trees I'm thinking about is um, aspen. Mm-hmm. A lot of northerners call it pop poplar. Um, those are clonal species. I've either talked or written about this before in the past. Deer like to browse it. Um, it's not a highly valuable tree um, in terms of timber. Um, but if you, when when I say they're clonal, they're all tied together. The root systems are tied together yeah, as I, as one organism. Fun so fact, if you remove, Matt, I th- I, what, I believe that's the biggest organism on the face of the earth. If I it remember, is, yeah. yes, I think there's yeah. a place out west where there's like f- almost 500 acres of one one, one organism, one root species. Yeah, genetically, it's all the same tree, but there's yeah. you know tens of thousands of of uh, tree trunks out there. Yeah. Um. So if you remove I think the research says 60 to 80 percent of the trees above ground it responds in a way that will that entire root base of all of those together and they're they're clonal so they'll be grouped up you might find a group of them in a half acre or so but if you remove 80 percent of them uh or around there you'll get 10,000 plus sprouts per acre um from from that one place and deer like to eat it so it's like a tree food plot in essence. Um, so targeting species like that um, for 
creating more more uh, growth above the ground um, is a good way to do it. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know if you can hear that, but oh, it's you're good. really loud in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can hear it now. I don't know we're we're probably Don't running out of time, it. but you got any final thoughts, any additional comments you'd like to make? Um, final thoughts would be uh, don't take any um, technique as the saving grace. Uh, hinge cutting, uh, stumping trees, planting stuff, food plots. Um, not there's no one thing that is going to be um, the silver bullet per se that makes your property that much better. Um, certainly we tell people through our classes that we teach and anybody I visit with about managing property is one of the best things you can do is look at the landscape around your property and decide what the lim most limiting factor is. If it is cover, um, you know, hinge cuts going to provide that. Um, there's not many places where cover is limited, where food is not also limited, but, um, especially the time of year where that is, but try to produce those things. So don't take any of this as um, one technique is better than the other. They all have their different places, which is kind of the point of hinge cutting is I think it's really well suited towards edge management. Mm -hmm. And it does produce some things in the forest interior, but not as much as other techniques do. Um, so try, try to use and consider alternative methods um, to anything, to anything that you do. I think you said that extremely, extremely well um, and have addressed this issue topic very well, hit the nail on the head. Just from a, a deer standpoint, from a forestry standpoint, um, and we totally agree, there is the use for hinge cuts, and we use them, we do it, uh, we always are recommending closed edge feathering, things like that um, on properties that we visit. It has its place. It will benefit things, but it needs to be in the right places. And same thing yeah. with the clear cut. A clear cut's not the best thing for everything and everywhere. And, and, you know, we know that, but right, you hit it, the nail on the head, and um, it's got it, a place that really, needs I'll to be used. I'll say one well. other thing, too. It really does come down to scale. Um, and. A lot of people don't think about this, but in terms of trying to manage for deer, um, the ideal thing to do is to manage in blocks that are really not that large. I mean, mm -hmm. really, those 15 to 30-acre blocks, um, 30 acres would be big, um, but trying to create management units or compartments that are small enough that you're providing lots of different things. You don't want 500 acres of one habitat um, or of one vegetation class. You don't want 500 acres that all looks the same, one homogeneous area that is all early successional area mm -hmm. um, or is all uh, forest that's managed in one way or the other or is one all uh, hinge cut. You want small blocks. The smaller, the better. And really, the ideal size is that 10 to 20 acre uh, area. Um, just through telemetry data and, and looking at that, Deer use is really at that scale. Now, they will travel much larger areas. Their home ranges are larger, um, but it is fawning areas or bedding cover or feeding areas are really in these smaller blocks. So if you only have seven acres, it lends itself towards working with your neighbors. And um, maybe you, you do only one large block. If you have seven acres, you make a five-acre section that all looks the same. 
But as long as your neighbors are doing a little bit something different, you'll all benefit. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Couldn't agree more on that. Diversity is basically what you're saying. We love diversity is what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I, I, you know, in the past two months, Matt, we've had some guys, these, these upland consultants, I said, sum up quail management in one word, diversity. Uh, I, I spoke with the guys at the rough grouse society. Hey, sum up management for rough grouse in one word, diversity. Um, and here we are talking to you about deer management and diversity. Uh, it comes at no surprise. No, I mean, it is, it is really, and that's the wildlife side of things. Um, if I took my QDMA hat on, which I'm wearing right now, and I put my Forester hat on, which I do often have on anyway, you want scale to be larger because it's the economy of scale that will drive, you know, more volume, more volume means more money. That's why foresters and wildlife enthusiasts don't speak the same language sometimes is, uh, that scale. Um, so, so try to work both sides of that, um, as best as you can. But if deer is your primary objective is, which is where we started talking, you want those scales to be small. You want that size, that size diversity to be high. Wonderful. Perfect, man. I mean, absolutely. It was all, all great. And I know you got to probably check in on your flight. Don't know why we waited so long. We're going to have to have you back on a lot sooner, uh, than, I don't know how long it's been. Hundred podcasts later. Hundred podcasts. Unacceptable. Yeah, I know. I know this is definitely a topic that you could go way more in detail, but due to travel time, we're going to have to cut it short. But hopefully, we can have you back on soon um, to talk about and and give you more of an open floor and say, hey, for the next hour, let's ramble, let's talk. So um, sounds good. Absolutely. Always appreciate it, Matt. Can't wait towards uh, September Deer Store Two. It's going to be a lot of fun. I really appreciate it, guys, and, and I apologize for the background noise. I went and, as you know, found a terminal where nothing it was happening, and all of a sudden there's a lot happening here. <laughs> that's, I didn't realize that speaker could get that loud where, where the guy was talking, but, but they are. So no really worries. thank you guys, and uh, thank you for all you're doing uh, for not only QDMA but other NGOs. Um, you're doing a great job, and I uh, love, uh, love watching what you do. Appreciate it, Matt. Safe travels home. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Well, it was great to hear from Matt again. Absolutely. Uh, dear, dear friend. Um, shoot, we've been, I don't know how long I've known Matt now, a long time. Uh, really long time. And so it's always good. I'm almost a little bit embarrassed that, that it's been so long since we had him on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, I think, number 13. Um, and every time, I remember last time he was on, um, it was very much we hung up and was like, exactly, that that man right there, we, we he, he gets he it. Gets it. And uh, and once again, I mean, we're talking more specific about certain things, but the big takeaways, one of the biggest being that the amount of how quickly um, hinge cuts become unproductive as far as providing that, that woody browse that, that is the initial, hey, I'm going out to hinge cut because I want some cover and I want some browse. But it doesn't take very long, very many years for that to be out of reach for the deer and not be nearly as productive as it was first year. And we talked about it and we addressed it, you know, getting away from that short-term quick fix mindset is that that's why we're comparing these two techniques and, and what happens afterwards. And everyone, we, we address this a lot as well, is, is the time um, that you have to be able to do things. And 
if you're going to go out and devote a weekend to go and create these types of areas, why not do a practice that's going to have a longer benefit? Because again, we all know weekends are tough. We've got families, we've got things to do. Um, no one wants to go out there and do it when it's 90 degrees outside. So you just if you think about it from those terms and from the environmental standpoint, from the forestry regeneration, from the food standpoint, from the cover standpoint, there is a, a, a tends to be a clear winner when you're looking at comparing side by side for bedding cover clear cuts. Now, again, I want to make sure everyone knows we still use hinge cuts. Yeah. And we still will always do it because it does have its place. Matt addressed that extremely well in his portion, but we're still going to use them, but not for that purpose. Exactly. Use more in a, this species, this size, this scenario, to find this location, comb. and also edge of food plots specifically is when we really get into yeah. using. That's, oh, our, yeah. that's our most common use of hinge cuts is that, that edge, creating edge feathering, uh, whether that be open or closed edge feathering, depending on how we want deer to be um, steered in through that area. Um, we still use them. Yeah. As you guys heard will. us at the beginning of the podcast, talking with Matt, and here we are now um, talking hinge cuts because it was something that was extremely popular. We made that social media post, and it was like, man, there was a lot of guys saying, I think I think we instigated it a little bit. I know I did. I'm the one I, who made the post. I, you did. And I'm like, okay, I just want to hear it. And there was a lot of guys saying, oh, my Forrester never says it. But there are some other guys that said that they've used it. But at the same time, once again, Matt said there's there's quicker ways to throw your wallet in the trash. That was a big one that made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, that because, was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, e- even if it's not marketable, I I see it with young walnuts and young oaks, which are the two biggest, the big ones when it in comes to – and a lot of areas when it comes to um, making money, you know, I when I was in Michigan last week, the market, the most, the most productive timber that they were looking for that brought the most money, black walnut, um, and and also oak. And so, even though it may not be marketable log yet, it still at some point will be, and it's really not good sense to cut that tree in a hinge to where it's like. Well, it's never going to make any money now. And even if you left it or cut some other trees around it in a clear-cut aspect and it grows a lot faster, then at some point it is going to make money. But that's where our dilemma is, is it's not something long-term. Hinge cutting is a very short-term technique. So it, I, I guess let's sit back and think 20 years from now, if I were to go in and hinge cut one acre completely and step away, what does it look like in 20 years versus a approved forestry technique of clear cutting? And and I wish that we should I should have asked him, but there's a lot of negative connotations towards to, to the words phrase clear cut that terminology, but it is an approved practice for regeneration of hardwoods and, and get his take on it because a lot, a lot it has a a lot of people just get turned off by the, those words. However, um, it can be certainly beneficial. Regardless, what does it look like 20 years f- from now? Here in the Ozark Mountains, in areas that is dominated by hardwood timber, 
there I've talked to multiple foresters, multiple loggers, and their favorite way to harvest and get the quickest growth to where if you do a harvest, what's the quickest way to get to the next harvest? Their number one tool is clear cutting. They say that that is the best way that they've found to create, to get the most out of a cut, but at the same time be moving forward to the next cut a lot faster. And, and I think it's important to note that, yes, that is, someone's going to say, oh, well, that's just a forester talking. Yes, it is a forester talking, but we've also just bounced that off of wildlife guy, and we know that there's extreme benefits to, to what happens afterwards. So there is the ability to manage for both. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so, and I think... Just like Matt said, just like Kyle and Frank said, um, that if you're trying to manage for both, yeah, you it's hard to walk the line and maximize all all productiveness all the way around. So I'm the most productive with my timber management. I'm the most productive with my wildlife. I'm the most productive with my cattle um, operation. It's very hard to get maximum production out of all of them. But if you do it at 75% or whatever that ratio is, you back it down, you can get really great results by managing for all those benefits, but not going overboard with any one thing. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I, th- I think it's a great podcast. Again, guys, hopefully it um, was pretty eye-opening for you guys and, and just kind of rebounded or reinforced uh, what we talked about last week and re-explained some things too, because there shouldn't be you know, miscommunications here um, of what we like, what we approve of, um, things that we would recommend. So hopefully, again, that was a, a kind of a reinforcer of, I get it, guys. You're not totally against intercuts. It's It just has its time and place. Coming up, we don't know if it'll be next week, but we're going to start a series, regionally based land management practices for, for the main regions in the United States for managing whitetail deer. And so we're going to specialize in species and land management practices for each region. Like so south, midwest, s- north yep. central, northeast, th- those kind of things, those types of regions. Yep. And so hopefully you guys will enjoy it. And I know it specifically asked for a northern states management podcast. So it's long awaited. We've had multiple comments about it, but now we're going to, we, we know we need to get there. So we're going to have one of those coming up. Hopefully you guys like this podcast, enjoyed this podcast. Once again, we're dipping our, we're diving headfirst back into hinge cutting, clear cutting debate because it was so popular last week. Um, and we definitely want to get through this before we move on to the next topic. So, and, and, and we appreciate everyone reaching out and having good conversations about it. I mean, that, that was, you know, it certainly beneficial. I think, I think honestly, we found out a lot of people. We agree with a lot of people on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and it. not just agree with deer guys. We agree with grouse guys. We agree with quail guys. There's a, all the way around. There's a lot of things to agree on. So For sure. Anyway, uh, guys, leave us a review on iTunes, please, uh, or Facebook. Check out our YouTube channel. There's been some new videos dropped on there. And uh, overall, once again, appreciate you guys joining us, and we'll catch you next week. Absolutely, guys. We'll see you. Yeah. <laughs>